Truth what happens is, as children grow up, we start to educate them progressively from the waist up. And then we focus on their heads, and slightly to one side. I think of the old days, you were better off, because nowadays they're all specialists. Everyone's becoming better and better, and less and less. And eventually someone's going to be superb, like Our education systems have mined our minds in the way that we strip mined the earth for a particular commodity. And for the future, it won't serve us. We have to rethink the fundamental principles on which we're educating our children. We're not here to tell everybody that they're wrong and we're right. We're not saying that we have all the answers, but um, we'd like to present a different way of looking at it. Hello, listeners, and welcome to China Education. This is episode 55. My name is Jack Benstead, and I am the head of professional learning and pedagogy at Harrow Too High. Would you like to tell our listeners how many times it took you to pronounce China Jedication? I think it was only the second time, (laughs) (laughs) after a few uh, in my head. You were worried, but we got there in the end. Did a stellar job, and many have fallen um, <laughs> at that hurdle. Uh, Jack, it's wonderful to have you here today. We are in your CPD office. We are uh, on the fifth floor here in in South China. And uh, to listeners, I wanted to do this episode uh, firstly because I think Jack, being a very experienced teacher, has some good points I think to put across here today as a teacher, but also his transition to the realms of um, continuous professional development, which he's doing now in our school, is an interesting journey in itself. And number three, um, I've had this idea, as the researchers also did, that uh, we would be doing a little bit of a future series on this Jedication pod, where we'll be discussing all types of CBD things. I think we're going to call it Teacher's Tips. Um, and it'll be a little mm-hmm. 5 to 10 to 15 minute, uh, you see how I went from 5 to 15, <laughs> <laughs> um, jaunt, maybe every week, where we delve into something um, that would be useful for the teachers out there listening in the classroom. So without further ado, Jack, you're in China, um, you haven't been in China for too long, what brought you here? Well, I've been here for coming up to a year and a half, and I guess I kind of came by accident. Um, which I know a lot of people say when they first come to China. Um, But I was looking around at international jobs um, a fair few years ago now, and I kind of forgot about it. And suddenly I received a phone call maybe a year later um, while I was at work at break time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I took the call and was asked to come for an interview uh, for a role in China. Uh, Originally... I, I said, no, China's not for me. I never, ever imagined myself moving to China. Um, Can I just interject there? Please Interesting. Do. When you said you definitely knew like China wasn't for me, mm. go back to the Jack then. What was it in your head, the idea that you had about China and why it wouldn't be the place for you? I, I'd never been to Asia before and I saw the culture as something that was so far beyond what I'd ever experienced. So I was I was kind of looking at jobs in Dubai and Abu Dhabi because they were more kind of... Uh, I understood those places a lot more. 
Um, I had friends that had been there, but China mm. was completely new to me. Um, but after speaking to uh, the person on the end of the call and, and getting a few more details, I thought, why not? I'll, I'll go for the interview. I don't think I'll be interested, but I'm never one to turn down opportunity. Okay. So yeah. I, I went for it and, and it all came from there, really. Huh. And no one before that you knew had been to China, right? Like you said to yeah, the nobody. East, that you yeah. had friends. No yeah. family, no friends, nobody. So what was the, the turner? I mean, was there, in England, you were working in a, in a primary school there. Mm-hmm. Um, how many years had you been at the... So I'd been there for five years, um, and it was the only, only school I'd worked in. So I worked there from being an NQT, and I stayed there for five years, kind of worked my way up there. And I was ready for the next, the next challenge, um, but I didn't know what that was, mm. um, which is why I think I was a bit more open to it after thinking about it. Actually, why not? Mm-hmm. If I'm ready for something new, and I always, always wanted to travel and teach abroad, why not start here? And what was the pull then when you had that interview with China? What was it? Was it the salary? How dare you? Um, <laughs> or was it something else? I think it was the actual school huh. and, and meeting, meeting the interviewers and knowing that the school that we're working in is, is developing quickly. It's a brand new school and there's a few new schools within the organisation. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew there'd be opportunity and I knew that I was going to learn so much more by joining a school like this than staying in my old school in the UK. And I mean, indeed we have. We have, haven't we? <laughs> Without a doubt. And a hell of a lot more to learn as well. <laughs> eh? Yes, yeah. I mean, to anyone out there who has been a founding member of a school, whether it's in China or not, I think you'd all know that there's some huge lessons we all go through and yeah. um, it takes a long time to establish. I mean, we're nowhere there, near there at the moment. No. no. But what we are seeing is incremental improvement and that's, Definitely. that's a great thing. And it takes time. Yes, it certainly does. Okay, so you're here now in China, probably the worst time worldwide, politically, um, to come to a new country. Uh, it started, didn't it, with a crash-bang quarantine. Mm, yep. Um, you went first before we came from England. Uh, and you were given quite a show, weren't you, when you arrived in your <laughs> hotel room? In, was it Guangzhou? In Guangzhou, yeah. Nobody's heard this story before. I don't know why you're bringing this up. <laughs> Tell us what you were faced with as you opened the, the door. That was that must have been a real welcome to Asia kind it of was, thing. Yeah, I. Uh, you know what the the whole travel experience was fine overall, um, but when I when I finally arrived at the quarantine hotel, uh, I was in a room next to a colleague. We both walked into our rooms at the same time, and there was no bed. <laughs> to put it bluntly. Um, Where's the bed? All of the furniture was was on the floor. And when I say that, I mean, we had one (laughs) one chair. (laughs) There was one chair and desk, but the chair had no legs. So it was just a flat seat on the floor with a table at the the same sort of height. um, And no bed, but not even a mattress, just a duvet with another duvet on top. Um, it must have ran out of furniture (laughs) yeah it it wasn't the best but luckily um, I managed to get moved to a room with two beds just around the corner on the same floor in the same hotel um, just down the corridor yeah 
two days later. Oh, that's, so, yeah, two days. And the TV, yeah. well, I remember you telling me the TV was on the floor as well. The TV was plugged in, but also on the floor. Uh, but it didn't work anyway, so... <laughs> it's like a it, mini... It didn't really make a difference. A mini hotel room for mini people, perhaps. Yeah, it was very, very odd. Plenty of space, though. Well, as I could imagine. So, well, if anyone listening now has been, of course, to Japan, I spent some time in, that would be what you would call a, a very normal yeah. tatami room. You sit under, mm. and you must have quite good knees. But um, I, I've stayed in those in China, and... They'd still normally have some kind of mattress or some kind of padding. Yeah, that is a surprise. And this one yeah. didn't. <laughs> well, let's just chuck Norm out the window now over the last few years, yeah. um, Mr. Benstead, and move on. So you're back, you're in China, but I want to go back a minute and go right back, um, as I do on these interviews with teachers, to where you were actually educated and grew up as a boy. So take us back there. Where, where, where are you from? Uh, so... If we're going right back to the beginning, I was born in Germany. Uh, I come from a military family. Um, well, whereabouts in Germany? Really? In Dusseldorf. Oh, Dusseldorf. Yeah, exactly. But I was only there for a matter of weeks. We we came back to the UK um, and settled in Peterborough. Uh, so I live in a small a small town village outside Peterborough. Lived there my whole life really, um, and then following school, moved to Lincoln for university and lived there for six or seven years in Lincolnshire. So, Peterborough, where in the UK is that, if you could... It's about an hour and a half north of uh, London, so it's, okay. it's on the A1. Yeah, I've never been to Peterborough. Or Lincoln. They're quite dull. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, Lincoln's nice, nice castle and cathedral, small city. Okay. Yeah, and they're quite close to each other, right? Lincoln and Peterborough? Or? About an hour and a half. About an hour and a yeah, half. Yeah, not far. So, as a primary school uh, boy, you were in Peterborough? Yes. So, tell us a little bit about that. In particular, like, do you have a... Oh, I've kind of put you in there. A favourite <laughs> teacher growing up? I'm almost telling you it should be primary, but... Um... Mm. I, was, I was a very quiet boy in primary school. Um, very shy. I didn't really mature or feel confident enough until secondary school. And, and it probably is secondary where I had a favourite teacher. Huh. Um, this is still in Peterborough, yeah? This is still in Peterborough, yeah. A, a small town outside Peterborough. Um, I, had, I was really fond of my teachers in primary, but the, the one teacher that stands out to me is, is in secondary. Um, she was my German teacher. Um, and she was, she was interesting. She, she was very active and very lively, really innovative at the time, mm. I guess, um, for how she taught and engaged us, but at the same time, quite stern, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't mess with her. Mm. Nice combination. Mm. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? A little bit. Okay. <laughs> Not a lot anymore. So I, got, I think I got an A in my GCSE German, I don't know how I, I did well. it. I got a B, yeah. and I think half of that was by using Google Translate. Yeah, I, I had a clever kid next to me as well in the mm, proximity useful. of my vision. <laughs> <laughs> Always useful. Uh, okay, so, and then uh, after that, uh, university, which yep. was in... In Lincoln. Okay. I went and studied primary education with QTS for three years. Mm-hmm. And then you were 
I don't like the word spat out, that's a terrible verb to use, but you're spat out of that mm-hmm. system into the UK education system, right? Exactly. So following university, I applied for a school, which was a very, very well-known, good, innovative school in the area. Um, they had three schools in the trust, um, of which had just taken over. And the school was... Um, it was really innovative. They had like bespoke classrooms where they were all immersive. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the learning was kind of challenge-based, project-based. Mm. It was really interesting. And I interviewed them, got the job. But then there was a bit of a twist because they said, in the interview they said, if you get the job, would you work at any of our schools? And of course, it wasn't needing a job, I said, yes, of course. And they, they put me in the new school that they'd just taken over, which was extremely deprived, right. nowhere near the level they were at. Um, so it was a massive shock to the system. Um, there was a lot of work that needed to be done in that school. It was special measures. Uh. Um, but looking back, it was the best thing that could have happened because the amount I learned in that five years of being there mm. and the amount that I developed and, and kind of progressed my own skills was phenomenal. So I'm so glad that they did move me to that other school. Yeah, I think challenging, most challenging situations are generally the ones where we learn the most, yeah. Mm. Um, what about, you became a primary teacher, qualified yeah. as a primary teacher. So did you go into one grade or were you all over the place as, as new kind of things can be like? So I, I started in year three as an NQT. Um, so year then, three would be grade four? Grade four in China, yeah. yeah. And then the following year, I moved to year four, and I stayed there for two years. And that's where I kind of learned more kind of whole school or phase kind of skills and responsibilities. So I mm-hmm. took on like PE lead, ends up becoming a phase leader and a, a skit mentor, so a, a teacher trainer for the year. Following those two years, I moved straight up to year six um, to take over that phase, that department, and I stayed in year six for two years before coming to China. So I had all the the kind of SATs, stresses that you do in the UK, um, which in that kind of school was very challenging, but again, learned a lot. And a a great year six, that would still be primary, of course, in 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 the UK. Whereas Mm -hmm. our current school, they get to grade five and they move, don't they, from lower school to upper school. So it's a bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, What was your favourite kind of year age group that you like to work with? My favourite was year six. So it was year six. It was year six. Um, Not only because of the age of the students, you you can kind of have a bit of banter with them mm-hmm. and have some fun with them. Mm-hmm. But also, I did enjoy the challenge of SATs. I did, it was a shock to the system when, when you first moved there. Um, but taking on like the data responsibilities and really honing in on how to help the children progress. Um, to get that number up. To get that number up and to get that data, which is horrible, but... It's, it's a challenge and it's something that you can really track and push yourself yeah. and the, the, the students can do the same. So by the end of the year, the sense of achievement is greater than I had in any other year group. Mm. Yeah, interesting that. I can definitely concur with what you're saying there. It's just one of the things that children come out of school and 
it's not what we do, is it? Take no. exams and get a no. number. It's a lot broader than that, a lot deeper. But yeah. definitely, I can see where you're coming from there. Are you looking to further your career in education? Teach Now offers a convenient online teacher preparation and master's degree program completed anywhere in the world. Reach Now for Teach Now. Ain't no time for defeat now. Teachers get off your seats now. Future generations need you now. Work with people all over the world in a collaborative, activity-based teaching environment. To learn more, visit teach-now.edu. Expertise that is really outside of the box. What was your favorite subject then in all that? Because of course as primary teachers we wear a lot of hats. Exactly. What hat did you like to wear the most? In year six, to be honest, the whole view of holistic education wasn't at the forefront of my mind. Mm. Um, That number was, wasn't it? Exactly. (laughs) So, in the space of the five years I was in that school, your your kind of pedagogy changes depending on what year group you're in. So in, in, in year six... I really enjoyed teaching maths and English because that's where you saw the progress and the children were engaged and they wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in, in other grades or year groups, I would really enjoy topic-based lessons and cross-curricular lessons okay. where, you, you, where you can intertwine science and history and geography and art. They're the ones that the younger students really engage in and really enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess my strongest subject is probably English. Um, but I am happy teaching most subjects. I'm not one of these teachers who has a favourite and would, would choose one. I I enjoy teaching, mm. so I will teach. Yeah, good answer. Um, talking about how you teach, mm. how would you say your what's your teaching style? If I could cram you into a st- teaching yeah. style room, there. What do you think is this, Jack's style? This is difficult. For me because as i say i've come from a school which is innovative in a way because they have immersive classrooms challenge-based learning project-based learning mm. but in the space of that five years we changed that as well because time goes on and you adapt how you teach and then moving to china in a bilingual school again boom you boom you, you have to change your style once again to suit the learners so I don't think I can pinpoint a style, um, but what I will say is, for me, relationships with students are the one mm-hmm. most important thing that any teacher can can focus on. Um, so building that relationship is vital, but also having um, some form of discipline where the students know where they stand and that you do have control of the class whilst also maintaining that relationship and that that fun aspect of teaching. So for me, relationships, but also, um, I don't want to say control, because it's not control, but expectation, I think. Yeah, and that that segues nicely into, if we were to just mow down now onto kind of discipline Mm -hmm. and behaviour strategies. Now, we could fill a whole hour talking about the differences in discipline and behaviour and attitude to learning from England when you were there and and what you've seen since you've been in China. Mm -hmm. One would be, would you say that the the children are probably, well, you tell me, what do you think in, in terms of how the children are in the classroom in the lower school compared to what you saw in England? 
in terms of behaviour, being able to, you know, get them to learn? I think the biggest difference is the, the bilingual element, and that does have an impact on behaviour because the learning style is slightly different. Mm-hmm. Because in, in bilingual schools, it's so important for students to talk and practice, whether that's in, in Chinese or English or any other mother tongue. They need to be able to listen, digest, and then verbalise it to, to, to keep it in. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in the UK, teaching styles are very different depending on what school you go to and what kind of head teacher you have, I think. Mm. Um, and what, what year group you're in. Um, so it's, it's, it's difficult to... You had a lot of... Remember you told me you had a lot of issues with behaviour in your school mm-hmm. in England, in Lincoln. Yeah. yeah, we did for the first few years. What was, what was your kind of... What was your thing that you stuck to there when you were in a class to... To help Relate, him. Relationship. Again, so it goes back... Without a doubt, yeah. I... The, the most important thing for me when I was taking on a new class was, was building that relationship quickly. Get to know the students, know about their family, know about their hobbies, know... And, and not surface level, I mean, yeah. really dig deep. Um, and also, not just in class, but around the whole school. Mm-hmm. You, you need to... If you see them on the street at the weekend, it's it's having that same kind of positive relationship with them. Did um, you see them on the street in the weekend? Well, just to hang out on shopping. the street. <laughs> like shopping me. Yeah, you see that on the You did sometimes, What would you yeah. do? Open the bag and say, hey, what did you get? And kind of I, 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 Yeah, I won't go that far. <laughs> just a little Keep glance. Simple, but yeah, just let us know. See next week. They like it. It's, it's important. Um, Tie your shoelace up. Sorry. <laughs> but it's, it's the parents as well. Making sure that parents know that, that you care. Um, and that becomes even more important as you, not when you're you're just looking after your class, but when you're looking after a few classes, mm-hmm. or as you kind of progress to to different departments, you need to have better relationships with so many students. And if you've got, I, I remember a few times I would have to go down to year three or year four or year five and and, and manage behaviour and support the teacher. And the amount of times where you don't actually have to manage behaviour, mm-hmm. just taking the student and speaking to them, and and you can change it about something about their personal life, which is probably where the problem actually stems from, and then link it into what's happened that day. Having that relationship was so beneficial, and it solved so many problems so much quicker because I knew the students well. So I'm, I'm a huge proponent for establishing a relationship with a classroom mm-hmm. to the point where I don't feel like taking for the first three or four weeks of a term out, I don't mean out as in we're not yeah. learning anything, but mm-hmm. to go off piste yeah. in terms of curriculum. But of course, in today, it's, it's, it's two days, little intro, mm-hmm. and then in you go to the programme, right? Well, it's possible to intertwine that into your lessons too, and that's where... Teachers need to be savvy, mm. I think. Savvy. Mm. Right, moving swiftly on. Um, <clears throat> uniqueness. Mm. And I think it's one of these things. Uh, in the West, we like to be unique. Maybe in the East, we don't yeah. so much. But what is unique, or what was unique, about your classroom? That's tough. 
We like to ask tough questions. It's tough. Sorry, was that the answer? You're tough. <laughs> I'm not tough. <laughs> I have expectations, but I'm not tough. What's unique? I think it's... I don't think I do anything massively unique that so many other teachers around the world don't do. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for me, it goes back to relationship. It goes mm-hmm. back to not relationship with students, but also support staff and actually making sure that your TAs or your, your support or whoever it is that's in your classroom is at the same level as you. So no matter who's, who's supporting my class, I always spend time to make sure that they have the same level of respect and responsibility as me mm-hmm. and they feel valued by the students. So in the UK, I used to do this a lot where if they were comfortable and after checking at the very beginning, I would ask them to, to take part of the lesson and we would just swap roles just to show the students that it doesn't matter who's teaching you at any one point, it's the same expectation and the same value of learning. Um, mm. And it, it's, it feels like a simple thing to do, but actually it creates so much more of a close-knit classroom um, and the students can see that you're working well together with other adults and, and they respond to that. And, and in England you'd have a, a TA... Would it be a teacher assistant? It, it depends on the school, but normally you'd be lucky to get a, a, a TA, like yeah. a teaching assistant, yeah. So normally one TA. Of course, we're very lucky here, aren't we? We mm. get one, two. Um, at the moment. At the moment, you're right. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Maybe take that off, uh, off the pod. Right, okay. Well, look, look, before we finish, let's delve into this crossover, because we, we got here to China, you had no bed, then we went back to Lincoln and Peterborough where you had a bed. Mm-hmm. Let's now talk about... Um, what happened in terms of moving from... Because last year you were with me as a... You were doing grade four. I was in grade, grade four. four yeah. Grade three. And then, lo and behold, now you have a shiny new office and uh, you actually could do with putting some posters I up know, It's here. not very homely yet, is like it? Teddy bear cactus in mm. the corner, listeners, and some snacks there. Um, and blue tack, which I found for you today. Thank you. Uh, I hope this podcast isn't too echoey by the lack of colour and warmth in your room, but... <laughs> Move on. Mm. Uh, how did that happen? Because, I mean, I think it's fantastic. First of all, I haven't known you for a long time. What mm. I have known of you is I see you as... Um, and we haven't talked about much, but your family growing up, which I thought was really unique in a way, is your, mm. your mum and dad. Because you've got how many brothers and sisters? At the, at the moment, I've got <laughs> two sisters and three foster siblings. So I, I find this... I find this really yeah. quite amazing and I think it's one of the things that shaped you into quite a rounded, I think a very good mm. example of a, of a leader um, in the educational realm. You, you kind of grew up with a lot of different characters, the foster children. Yeah, uh, it's a bit of an interesting childhood because um, I think I was probably about six or seven when my, my parents started fostering different kids um, and they're still fostering now so over the past however long, we've had teenagers, babies, everything in between, twins, triplets. Incredible. Children from all over the world, Africa. You never um, needed to leave, did you really? Maybe that's probably exactly. why you... Yeah. Um, so we've had some very, very, very challenging 
Mm. Um, children who have really kind of tough backgrounds. Um, my sister, we, we fostered her originally as a baby and then now she's adopted. Um, my younger sister. And yeah, currently we have uh, three foster children. Um, one of which I've only met once, and that was when I visited my parents before I moved to China. <laughs> wow. Is your dad still in the army? No, he's left now. He's left a while ago. Well, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Ben said, I, "My, I, you know, a big heart goes out to you. I think it's incredible, amazing to hear these stories, and I think it's made Jack. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you are." The person he is today. I think the interpersonal skills that you've developed through those experiences, Jack, you've really brought on here and the challenges that you faced in China. Now give me uh, your biggest challenge that you've faced so far in John War. Mm, I think I think I've got really used to the cultural differences now. When you first arrive, it's it can be challenging. It's, it's very different, especially if you've not ventured over to this part of the world before. Mm. Um, but I'm pretty used to it now, but you always come up, there's always challenges every week. There'll be challenges that you face and it can be really simple little things when you're working with staff and colleagues in schools, whereby you just do things differently and you have slightly different views and you're trying to get your point across or trying to explain something. And it can be really challenging to make sure that people understand what you're thinking and for them to help us understand. Um, and like I say, it'll be really simple, small things, but for me, that's one of the most challenging things. Feeling like you understand the culture and every day, every week, something comes up where you think, oh, I don't understand this part of the culture or this doesn't quite make sense. And you have to find someone to explain to you, oh, okay, that's, that means that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's going to go on and on and on for a long time yet. Well, I was, I was going to say, uh, I totally hollow with you there, but it never ends. Mm. And uh, yeah. I think the longer you're here, the more you realise you just don't understand anything. Yeah. Um, before we end, your remit is CPD officer now. Just give me the elevator pitch, a quick sentence about what your main remit is for the listeners. So I'm um, the Head of Professional Learning and Pedagogy. So there's, there's kind of two elements to this. The first part is developing our staff. Um, and, and that's the whole school. Mm-hmm. So it's quite a challenge in a new school to do that because we have so many teachers and colleagues who come from all over China and all over the world with so many different experiences and pedagogies. So finding the correct CPD to align all of those different viewpoints is really important to, to get a foundation for our school where everyone is on the same page. Mm. So part of my job is is finding and organising CPD and supporting staff in, in their progression because ultimately we want staff to, to develop themselves as teachers and as practitioners. Um, and the second part is pedagogy, so quality of teaching and learning. So in school I do a lot of um, teacher observations, some coaching, um, looking at books and things, so making sure that we upkeep high standards of, of teaching and learning. 
Wonderful. And every week, listeners, well, I get quite a lot of emails, but one of the emails that I do read, I mean, one of the emails that I, I read is um, your, what's it called? My two-minute tip. Two-minute tip, which, of course, is never a two-minute tip. It's a complete <laughs> line. Eh? Um, it's a, a, when we get, and I do read them, and I save them, and, and, you know, I talked to the researcher, we had an idea, and I said, look, why don't we do a regular teacher's tip mm-hmm. edition? So yeah. that's what we're going to do. We're going to kick it off next week mm-hmm. and we'll see what the feedback is. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you very much, Jack. This has been great. Thank you. This is China Jedi, people. If you're an English-speaking teacher from anywhere in the world and you have a bachelor's degree but need an official and accredited teaching license to get a job, get a visa to teach abroad, or most importantly to learn all those things you wish you knew before you stood in front of 30-plus students, then reach now to Teach Now and secure a professional U.S. District of Columbia license in as little as nine months. Online in no time, low cost, high quality, Teach Now. Get in the game. Immediately receive a $100 discount of your tuition by signing up to the Teach Now program via the link www.teach-now.edu forward slash China Jedi. May the smile be with you.